Welcome to Deep Roots, Island Waves, stories about life's lessons from Indigenous voices, a collaboration of Clahoos First Nation and Cortez Community Radio. Prior to European contact, a complex web of trails linked Clahoos and their traditional territories to other Indigenous groups throughout the province and beyond. In this story, producer Roy Hales explores how the discovery of an ancient trail marker on Clahoos territory now connects band members to their shared past. Toba Inlet is a remote fjord roughly 180 kilometers north of Vancouver, British Columbia. It is geographically closer to Campbell River, though the trip is an hour and 45 minutes by water taxi. A recently discovered arborglyph suggests this area was not so isolated in pre-colonial days. Arborglyphs are figurines or symbols carved into living trees. Though few have survived into modern times, they are believed to have served as trail markers. There are at least 23 major indigenous trails in British Columbia. Many served as the basis for modern-day roads and highways. The recently discovered Clahoos arborglyph from Toba Inlet was found along the route that once connected this area to the upper Squamish Valley. This historic treasure has been moved to the Clahoos Multipurpose Building in Squirrel Cove, Cortez Island, for safekeeping. According to Michelle Robinson, Social Development Officer for the Clahoos First Nation. I just think it's really, really powerful to know that there's one part of that history is going to be here in the building, that we're taking care of it. It's huge. There's so many stories behind that tree. We could tell about our history. Ken Hanyus, Clahoos Band Member and Business Management Option. When I went up to the site to take a picture of the tree, as I was looking around trying to see if there was a trail between the two markers I had noticed an indentation in the ground and so my inexperience I assumed that whoever carved the face could have had a lean-to or a shanty and lived in that little indentation it looked like it was man-made I was actually wondering if the archaeologists hadn't taken a look at it when they were up there. It would be interesting to see, I think, a a team go up there and maybe discover the trail or or discover that indentation in the ground to do an archaeological dig or survey. Judith Williams, Professor Emeritus for the University of British Columbia. There were this web of trails throughout the entire coast. And these trails went from tidewater in Toba, all the inlets, um, certainly in Butte and in Night Inlet. And these trails went inland, often with trade materials. They're called grease trails, but they traded more than that. These arbor glyphs and other markings like like this indicate paths that people took for probably thousands of years, trading inland, meeting up with the higher trails. And you could go from Butte Inlet all the way to Bella Coola on this trail web. And people don't often think of the degree of trading that went on with the First Nations. And because the area has been logged, 
it's pretty difficult now to track the actual trail. But other people are trying. Darren Blaney is certainly going to try up in um, Butte to go up the Southgate Trail particularly, but there's two there. And I know that, that they're there because I'm, I'm writing a book that includes material on this. So they're important because they indicate a kind of commerce, if nothing else, and interaction between tribal groups. When were these trail routes in operation? I don't know as they ever really stopped. I don't think that just initial contact would have stopped them at all. I, I can't see why. Because the initial contact is so tenuous. But there were people who came into Toba. Susan Piel told a wonderful story about first contact there, told to her by an auntie. I always think the term auntie is like this nebulous person, but important, right? And so stories are often told by, my auntie told me this story. So, so I don't know how far back the auntie was, as I would say. And that had to do with the first ship that was ever seen in the Brim. And that would only be after these early explorers in 1792. So you suddenly have the Boston men coming in here for trade, for skins and things like that, and, and bringing things. And this was a case where the auntie told Susan that they were given a box of things by the boat, and they tried to eat them, and they were very, very hard. And so the auntie threw them back in the water, and the box drifted back out to the boat, and she was very embarrassed that she, the thing that they'd been given was not something that they kept and wanted. So that's a first contact story, right, for that family. But I don't see why the trade routes would have stopped just as soon as people came. I would have think they'd gone on and on for a long time. You're listening to Deep Roots Island Waves, stories about life's lessons from Indigenous voices. This episode, brought to you in part by Literacy Now... Cortez Community Forest Co-op, Study Build, and private donors. Michelle Robinson suggests that these trails would have largely fallen into disuse after the Clahoos were put onto a reservation. With contact, we've been forced smaller and smaller and smaller, and we were forced to stay on reserve. We had to get a pass to leave the reserve. We weren't allowed to travel on our trails and trade and and make contact with family across the upper Squamish. There was important ties. Our, Our chiefs made important ties to other surrounding communities because what what grandfather from a chief from another reserve in upper Squamish would send an attack party down to Clahoose because they have great grandchildren there, our grandchildren. Our chiefs thought very very smart and smart ways about taking care of our people. So we connected ties and those trails are really important. And so when contact came, the government, the churches, they wanted our land. It's about the land. They wanted the resources. And they knew the First Nation people had contact. That's since time immortal, that's been ours. That's what we knew. It's what we understood. So let's take that away from them. We're going to tie them to reserves. You're not allowed to leave. And you need this pass from the Indian agent who comes once a year. You get to leave to go do business, to go see family you lost or something. So it's, we were crunched down. We were forced not to move. My grandma, my dad always talked about those connections to the upper Squamish. 
and the fact that we had those intermarriages and that there was trade that happened. And the reason the Upper Squamish connection was made was to take care of each other, to trade. And the Chilkootin would go down, was what my grandmother said, and they would raid the Upper Squamish and kill them in like large numbers. So they would send their women, their elders, their children, the important, what they called like their treasure over the mountain and they would come across and stay in Toba Inlet. So there was markers that they followed in trails. So that was what I was told growing up. Further to Michelle was talking about the connection between the Squamish and the Clahoose. Several years ago, there was a woman who came here to visit the community from the Squamish area. And her purpose was to see if she had any relatives here. And that was kind of surprising. But her story was that her grandmother came from Toba. She was taken over the mountains into the upper Squamish area and was a slave. The lady that came back was the granddaughter of this slave that was taken. To me, that indicates the trails were actively used two generations ago. Before they were pushed onto the reservation, the Clahoos were able to utilize a vast network of trails that stretched throughout British Columbia. The recently discovered Clahoose Arborglyph was found where a trail is believed to have once connected Toba Inlet to the upper Squamish Valley. The ancestors of the Clahoose people pass this way to trade, visit friends and family, and seek refuge in times of war. Some undoubtedly went further than Squamish, for we now know there were similar trails throughout British Columbia. You've been listening to interviews with Kenneth News and Michelle Robinson, Clahoos First Nation, as well as Judith Williams, Professor Emeritus from the University of British Columbia. Thanks to producer Roy Hales for this edition of Deep Roots, Island Waves. Senior producers are Morgan Tams and Greg Asoba. Series coordinator is Odette Auger. Clahoos coordinator is Jacqueline Metzieu. Cortez Community Radio is grateful to the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the Cortez Island Museum and Archive Society, Canada 150, and the Clahoos First Nation for their support. Find more at cortezradio.ca.